Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Out of Character, a podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy, find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and generally just shoot the breeze and, more importantly, have a laugh. My special guest for episode 14 is the actor, writer, performer, Kat Bond. Hello, Kat. Hello, lovely. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? It's been a very long time since we've spoken. It's been a very long time. Well, we used to sort of see each other gigging or sort of mm. out and about in the world. So, How have you been in uh, in the last, well, year, like in the lockdown and everything? How's What's been happening? Um, it's been quite handy to be sort of a bit of a jack of all trades and just sort of still keep a few things cooking. But I think it's a sort of seismic change, isn't it, on everyone? So... I've been sort of pottering along, trying to stay sane, trying to do mm. a bit of creative stuff and, um, yeah, lots of writing and, yeah, doing what I can, really. Stay inspired when all the things I usually get inspired by are sort of taken away. Sure. And have you been doing many sort of like online uh, shows, online gigs at all? I've been doing a few. I've done quite a few improv gigs, improvisation gigs, um, mm-hmm. a few uh, sort of stand-up gigs as well. Um, and quite a few where yeah, where you sort of improvise in character, but mainly sort of been making little videos and things. Yes, that's a, a, the way that a lot of uh, comedy nights are running, where you sort of send a video in, so it's less reliant on sort of the internet. Oh, I see. Okay, so you've been doing that, and you've been um, a- acting in uh, in in dramas at the moment, haven't you? You've been because you were doing a th- you were doing a theatre show. Um, it's true. It's true. It's true. And then um, I say, I say currently, by the time this goes out, it'll be a bit later, but you've, uh, you've just uh, been in Whitstable Pearl, right, on, on Amazon um, with Kerry Godleyman. Um, how, so how has it been sort of, um, I don't know, just sort of like having the balance of doing, doing comedy and doing, doing drama? Um, yeah, just like, because obviously it's quite a departure from, what you're norm what you're normally doing, I suppose. But um yeah, how 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 has that been? Well I started off sort of I've always been an actor and I suppose that's been the kind of like root of the comedy. I didn't have like formal training. I went to a place called Bretton Hall, which mm. was sort of create your own work and then started making comedy or started making like mini plays and they mm. had a sort of comic leaning. So it's not as huge a leap as perhaps it seems, but I suppose my comedy in the past has been quite strange and surreal <laughs> and I suppose and sort of quite big characters so it mm. um it is potentially a surprise but it's always something that I kind of wanted to do and I think they're two different mediums but they sort of complement each other and I think actually Kerry really proves that in the 
in the show. Yes. But of all, all, all my characters have sort of, there's always been a drama or there's been a level of heart or like hopefully mm. pathos. So that's, I kind of really enjoy playing sort of fully rounded characters and it sort of complemented it nicely. And to be honest, at the moment, it's just great to get the opportunity to perform alongside um, still doing the, the comedy stuff. It feels like they're, even though they sort of complement each other, they are sort of three different jobs. Like I'm writing sort of scripted comedy at the moment and then trying to you know get on gigs and then also doing auditions so even though they complement each other they feel like three different jobs sometimes that's terrific what sort of what's uh what are you writing for at the moment so at the beginning of lockdown I was writing for a CBBC show and that's sort of short form sketches called class dismissed which I also oh, yeah. fingers crossed we're shooting in um end of July nice then I'm just developing two ideas into sort of longer form I think comedy drama scripts one of them's more of a drama that's great about um uh class dismissed because are you are you acting in that show and writing on it yeah so I was in the last series and then Mm. we were writing as if we were going to be shooting last year and then yeah fingers crossed we're we're hoping to shoot um July August how did you find writing um so because it's sketch comedy for for children, I said, well, it's, you know, C B C as you say. Um, is that has that been so different from when you've when you write your character, your sketch and character stuff uh, normally for live shows and you know for a, for a more um, not adult but like I suppose mature audience? Um, how would you how or did you kind of um, slip quite easily into writing for for kids? I felt like, I mean, we were really guided by the sort of other comedians and the producers who were leading the show who were brilliant and they sort of gave you guidelines as to sort of things to avoid, sort of modelling, sort of modelling negative behaviour and there's sort of other things, obviously swearing, like there's some obvious things. Yes. But I think the same rules apply really. They're very short sketches and you're looking for a little arc within the very short sketch and potentially a few reoccurring games knowing the character and sort of knowing that they're potentially going to have three or four sketches throughout the show I was actually writing I wrote for some of the characters that I'd played the year previously oh nice in terms of being able to sort of get into the zone and know what they looked like that I think that was really helpful yes I really like the clear structure of it and it really helped to edit my longer form stuff and realize that you don't always need 12 paragraphs to explain something so I think it helped in that way to sort of edit and really sort of cull my longer material and just work out what was really necessary for the characters to say. Uh, was there um, room for improv with with that show or is it quite you know quite tightly scripted? Oh we definitely had a play I think because you're working with some amazing children I think some of them are teens it's a sort of a brilliant Mm. show that's sort of created for I know a lot of adults who really like the show as well and there's stuff in there for them yes and I think the main thing is not to sort of write for children in a way (laughs) (laughs) aim for just something that's relatively universal but um there was a little bit of improvisation and we just sort of played within the character walking I mean obviously you're kind of yeah you've got a set amount of time um, Mm. to work with certain cast members 
and um, because sort of the children obviously do like shorter days and stuff but there was certainly a playful element um within the within the cast and we were able to sort of particularly at the end the beginning and the end of the of the sketches you're able to sort of play and you're sort of bringing your own character choices yeah and lots of fun let's cast back to uh how you sort of first got into comedy and you mentioned going to um breton hall which um is no longer there is it no Um, it was uh, in the west Yorkshire sculpture park and it was part of the university of leeds it hadn't always been but it um i think it became an event center and then also a police training center (laughs) (laughs) so very very similar so that was a great place to study and we were sort of outside you know we did a lot of kind of site specific really experimental performances where we were sort of mm. using the environment of there where she was a sculpture park and we had an amazing tutor called Rachel Carafistan and she'd done a lot of work with like really physical theatre so it was just all of that and that's kind of what I thought I'd be doing even though physically <laughs> I don't think I really had the skills. Not that you always need to be a gymnast, um, but there were certain things that would have been useful. But that sort of led us to clowning. And I say us because it was Lorna, Shaw and I, and we eventually formed a duo called the Silky Pair and then that pair. But yeah, everyone sort of created lots of stuff. There was a group called Oyster Eyes who were from there. um, And um, obviously League of Gentlemen, they'd been there. Um, And so it didn't necessarily sort of guide you to... It wasn't exactly formal training. We still had movement and voice classes and song. So there mm. was still the remnants of a drama school or our arts college, but it was far more experimental, really. Yeah. And it was just a chance to meet lots of like-minded people, which I think a lot of BAs are. <laughs> Lorna and I started making shows together. Um, I just thought she was brilliant. I was like, I want to work with her. And so we yeah. started to sort of piece together a show called The Ditch Dwellers, which we did at the Colour House Theatre in Morden. And it was just this whole story about this village, really. So very sort of League of Gentlemen, but sort of a little bit (laughs) less dark, basically. And there was also comedy songs in that. And that kind of was the through line of what we did then for the next six or seven years was created uh, character comedy sketches with sort of song and music and comedy Mm. songs. So, yeah. So that's how we kind of like got into it. And naturally people were just laughing at some of the characters we created. So Ed Illswhite, who was in a group called Clever Peter at the time, suggested, why don't you come and do some of the sections from the show at a sketch night? Oh, terrific. And so we arrived and there was lots of sort of comics who have been doing lots of um, comedy for a long time. And we just sort of did a song about a Jobsworth traffic warden. I can't remember what the other song was. Um so yeah so and that was and then we just started looking for more gigs really and performing as much as we could we're going to perform some sketches and songs for you this evening yeah um Lorna's going to be on the old guitar yeah went out with the guitarist for a few years so sort of picked up a few tricks you know (laughs) bet you can't wait yeah Yeah. okay guys right we've got a song for you now yeah Yeah. and now this one's about the internet yeah uh went out with the internet for a few years (laughs) Was the music element always kind of 
there even when you were doing the the village show or was that kind of something that you tried once and then it was kind of like oh this this is really fun this and this made people laugh we should incorporate more of this yeah we had music from the start so we had a song called the ants i can't remember some of the other songs but the ant song was like our pretty big song and we loved that song and we tried to remember it the other day after a few drinks and it just we couldn't remember it at all (laughs) we're actually going to try and like put some of the songs down you know like as in just get them recorded so that we've still got like memories of them oh amazing (laughs) but yeah so that was the ant song yeah and music from the start I mean Lorna was sort of learning guitar at the time and I was Mm. sort of trying to learn guitar but that never really hugely worked (laughs) and I used to sort of stick to sort of dancing around and making weird faces Um, but yeah yeah, the music I just think actually that was a really accessible way in and actually there was sometimes where our material wasn't great and then we'd get a song out and it'd be like yeah like it would just sort of raise the mood so I think it did us a few favours um not to say that that's what musical comedy is at all but for us it really helped us to sort of get the audience back on side yeah it's it's um it's it's particularly songs in um shorter gig like sets you know so like 10 20 minute sets or whatever they're definitely when you're doing weird character stuff or even clowning that definitely seems to be the thing that, as you say, gets the audience, um, it's perhaps more accessible. Sometimes. I mean, it depends. I think there's like, we worked out a way of doing sets without music, but at the time we were sort of, um, and we just really enjoyed doing the songs. And I think they really added to the characters and the stories, but it was definitely useful, particularly for some more stand-up gigs to come on and just do a little song. (laughs) So it's a little bit of a sexy number now. Because sexy sales, doesn't it, Kat? Because you were the silky pair and then you were that pair. What was the first show, for instance, that you took to Edinburgh? Like, when did you kind of... Um, yeah, what was the sort of path that kind of... Uh, that, that that pair sort of led you down? The Silky Pair, we did the Free Fringe in the Lizard Lounge, which is in in one of the smallest spaces in espionage. Um, And that's the one where there's like booths that are sort of facing away from the stage. (laughs) And we sort of followed the lead of, yeah, some other people who had gone there. And that was a sort of a combination of a sketch show that also had songs in it, but it was sort of like all of our we sort of combined there wasn't really a story there there was just it was called jealous people and there was just like a kind of a through line of Lorna and I's sort of increasing tension with each other (laughs) she was jealous and there was just like um you know what she was jealous like that was the punchline (laughs) so we did that there and we really enjoyed it and we sensed that people really enjoyed it but we sort of decided to then go back the year after and do just the tonic and have sort of more of a stage space we did another show called open up which was about a shop and we were essentially selling our sketches and that seemed to go down well we started to get a few like some nice feedback and stuff. And then we went back the year after and we did a show called Never Liked It Anyway, which was about the death of our manager. Um, And we basically held a funeral for her, but we just made it all about us. Oh, yes. Really fun. And that's when we kind of were looking for representation and um, we started to 
sort of be writing together and going for auditions and but I mean I was acting throughout that time I was part of like a cooperative agency and Mm. as was Lorna off doing other bits and bobs but yeah we sort of were looking for a representation as us two um so that was fun and uh then we made another show called let it go or letting it go which was us as children's party entertainers which we then were developing as uh radio and 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 scripted things but that and that was our last show together but yeah we were sort of playing on both Lorna and I as our side hustle we're doing Mm. um children's parties sometimes several over a course of a weekend and it was completely insane making and so of course it was (laughs) ripe for the picking and uh, for comedy and it had lots of full, yeah comedy potential. We, we we thought so, so um, yes, we created a show out of our own painful um, <laughs> experience. I mean, it wasn't all painful. It's like I love working with kids, and I love uh, I, I sort of did like entertaining, but it just got a little bit too much over the course of a time. So we made a show about it. Yeah, yeah, no, and I mean, I mean that's the thing. It's like we were um, you and Lorna and I. I was kind of um, helping you guys develop your. Entertain, your party entertainers show into a radio series and the thing that was just like some of the stories uh it's that kind of you know you couldn't make it up thing like they were just absolutely brilliant like a gold mine of material that um i still think it's a fantastic idea yeah i wonder um, if it's more of a visual sketch because what we were coming up against a lot with that was the um trying to sort of get it all across audio and I because I thought about that recently and I was like oh I wonder if it was you know you needed some of the visuals to truly get the full horror but no I really I yeah I really bat that I thought that was a great idea yeah no it was good because I think yeah the first because when I first met you uh, met you both that was when you did the it was in Brighton and you did upstairs at the three and ten in 2014 and I guess that must have been the well it was it, it, I might have been never liked you anyway, but I think the show at the time it was just that pair, and I think you were. I think it was. I think it was just like a compilation of sketches you were doing for Brighton Fringe. Yeah, we were probably doing a combination of new and old material because we still hadn't yeah. written the the new show. But I think that was the beginnings of Never Liked Her anyway. I think it was such a good show, and um, and then yes, and then we kind of met more in Edinburgh. Yeah, and uh, and then yeah, and and then of course you came and did expenses only. Yes, uh, both both of you. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was, I was talking about that the other day actually because I was recording some radio, but on location. So oh, nice. I was talking about like radio in a studio where obviously we recorded it. Um, no, it was in front of a live audience, actually, wasn't it? On the hottest day of the year, hottest yeah. day of the year, yeah, it was fantastic, <laughs> and there was a stellar cast. No, that was brilliant, and it's yeah. and, and I suppose that's how like a lot of things come about in terms of work wise is that you meet people through doing these mad shows, mm. and you sort of come together and form connections, and then sort of put people forwards for stuff, and there's that sense of, oh, they'd be great for that, they'd be great for that. So, yeah, there's a nice community. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, and definitely, especially in, like, the sketch and character circuit, I found there was very much that, um, yeah, community vibe and everyone's very supportive. Obviously, everyone is kind of in competition, but but not not in a sense, because I remember, like, you know, I'd, I'd... see i'd see you at other people's shows and you know other people's gigs and everything and it's um 
yeah, it was, everyone's just very, very supportive. I think there's room for us all, isn't there? Like, it's just yeah. everyone's doing their own thing. And I think if you look at it as a competition, you're, it's going to be, I don't know, that's going to be quite a painful time that you're going to have. <laughs> How have you found doing stand-up um, in, in sort of uh, contrast to sketching character? Well... I went on and made a show on my own called Lou Roll. Definitely a heightened version of me or it was a character called Pat. But it wasn't as a huge stretch and then there were sort of characters within that. And then I would perform certain sections of that. And there was a sort of, I mean, most people would definitely say it was a character. Like I had a costume and it was really clear that actually a lot of that (laughs) stuff was coming from me. How did Lou Roll, like the concept of Lou Roll, come about? Because also... That head head rest <laughs> that you've got. That uh, did you make that? Yeah, it's made of six toilet rolls, and there's sort of a structure, and that toilet rolls are sort of placed around as if it's a yeah headpiece. Lots of fun with that. Mm. So I did a short film with a group of my best friends called Family Bond, which was about four women living together, and it was sort of grey gardens style. Um, it was sort of, there was an element of it being quite strange and they sort of had their own routines and their own sort of rules for life. And it was sort of very long improvisation, (laughs) improvisations basically. And then we edited it together and we, and there was a character I created called Pat and she was sort of very, sort of androgynous and sort of very sort of on the, peripheries really and very sort of strange and odd and she was always looking for her family yes she was very sad and she's downed pints of guinness and so i found that costume again and i was like actually i really like that character and i sort of wrote a few things down and sort of opened with her coming out ask like shouting to the audience mum dad claire dog which was like her family (laughs) and holding up a poster and seeing whether seeing whether they were in the audience and so every time she went into the audience it was a case of a different audience she'd still be looking for her family and then I developed yeah. a show from there and I developed and I was on the way to Leicester Comedy Festival with Short and Curly who was a, a, oh, yes. a double act and I said and I had a really bad cold and I was like wouldn't it be interesting if all the characters <laughs> All the props were made out of toilet roll and then it was just a bit of a silly idea and then it all kind of came together. And then, yeah, a story formed of this woman who'd been found in a bin outside Luton just with a toilet roll and she was trying to find her family. But there was a sort of a series of sketches through that and we sort of meet people who are her mum, dad, her sister and her dog throughout the series. Um, series? Um, throughout the show. So, yeah, yeah, so that sort of developed in that way but... She was just a really, like, vulnerable character. Um, yeah. Which is quite a strange thing to do as your first gig because the audience really need to trust you. Mm. So it was like trying to get them to trust me as if, like, I know what I'm doing, but equally put the character across. Conveying that innocence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just sort of, like, openness for the world. Um, so she was definitely just quite a young clown I suppose and um yeah I did sort of developed it from there but a lot of that was me you know she spoke like me and um uh, and that sort of developed over over time really in terms of um 
who she was and I think it still keeps evolving really like what yes. I think that that show was but then I filmed that so sort of did that in Edinburgh and got to perform that quite a few more times in London and then got that filmed for next up so that's kind of still you know you can still see and I'm quite happy that that's that I've got that for life even though I haven't actually yeah. watched it but you know it's quite a nice thing to to have and um Lorna and I never had that really you know a really good quality filmed version of our shows so it's nice to have it is a brilliant show like I remember because you did um I suppose snippets of what became that show with um the cat and John appeal didn't you oh yeah so I did a show with John pointing and that was just loads of different characters but there wasn't I don't think any of the characters made it into Lou Roll, but there were that was just the beginning of experimenting with trying to do stuff did the story woman not appearing oh that, yeah that yeah well, you're remembering better than me yeah <laughs> i just remember the stuff i remember the i've forgotten her name but tabby crab yeah tabby crab that's it yeah and you had this like massive book yeah so that was tabby crab and um i asked people to touch my story and to rub my story <laughs> and um she was a storyteller who basically was giving people advice on trying to develop their stories but in fact actually her stories were all made up they were all sorry they were all stories that already exist so Mm. they were like um disney stories or royal dolls matilda like or yeah she would tell sound of music she would tell her stories if she had this exciting life so that made it in she became um pat's mum and that was the only thing that made it in but that was quite fun with john so he would do some characters and I would do some others, but it was sort of changing and evolving each day. And yes. it was sort of never really, it was sort of true, free, fringe, brilliant, trying, experimenting <laughs> um, in in Edinburgh, which felt quite risky, but it was actually really fun. Did you feel that was good practice for you then going off to do a full solo hour? I think so. I think it was a bit of a slow build, like in terms of a way of doing it, but John and I just had such a nice time. So yeah. it felt glorious hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you had to be isolated with any TV comedy character, who would it be? Ness from um, Gavin and Stacey. Oh, nice. She seems yeah. she's really funny. You'd be locking down in, in Wales. 
in yeah. her. Yeah, I don't know. She smokes a lot. <laughs> I don't know whether I'd be able to handle that. <laughs> but I really, yeah, I would. I would love that. I love that. Or Julie Waters. You know, her two soups character, maybe her. She'd be quite funny, although that would be really annoying. But yeah, maybe Ness from Gavin and Stacey. That was my first, that was my first instinct. Yeah, yeah. Go with, go with your gut. That's the, yeah. uh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. It's, um, yeah, do, would, are you kind of like hoping then that she'd just kind of do her own thing and sort of leave you alone? Yeah, and then just occasionally come and tell me some quite you know, extreme stories and keep me entertained. <laughs> nice. Okay. I mean, that's that's great. You you came up with that one very uh very quickly. It's the improv yeah, it brain, is. Alex. Come on. Of course, of course, of course, it is. What was the sort of comedy you grew up watching when you were yeah in your sort of childhood? What was the kind of thing that sort of really made you go I want to do something like that well as a kid I mainly watched sort of certain things on repeat like Anna Green Gables Little Women Mm. just like I it wasn't comic I mean there were characters in it that were sort of women with a really good energy and you know slightly rebellious sort of tone and then with my dad I used to watch the Far Show and we were just obsessed. We were absolutely yeah. obsessed. And I think because of the really <laughs> clear characters, the slight, you know, surreal punchline. Yes. And I love Smack the Pony. I love Green Wing. Sort of things that were, I suppose, really character-led. So that was that mm. would have been a little bit later. But we'd always, we'd just watch so much stuff and we'd read loads of stuff. And we, I was like a huge musical theatre kid. So I was yes. always seeing sort of um, musicals and plays and um, stuff like that. But yeah, I think The Far Show was like quite a big one. Um, and I loved sort of Victoria Wood, Judy Waters. Oh, yes. Just the absolute classics that we were all sort of brought up on. And then it's sort of grown as I've got older. But I just used to inhale everything, really, and just <laughs> tie it all in and just be very nosy. We used to watch a lot of sport in my house. So it's just like oh, a yeah. collision of loads of stuff, really. Um, but, yeah, seeing a lot of live performance, I think, fed a lot of my ideas. But it wasn't like we weren't a purist comedy house. It wasn't yeah. like there wasn't any sort of snobbery, really. It was just there was just a lot of telly on, <laughs> you know. But, the, but the, that's great. As you say, you take in, like all this different um all these different um stimuli forms of yeah stimuli yeah that's better i was going to say forms of art which isn't a thing so <laughs> stimuli uh yeah absolutely uh, you're getting all the different experiences um that's 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 really interesting i was going to ask as well you did uh, the pilot of kerry howard's sketch show yeah that was a long time ago yeah 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 cuz um that character, um, that you, the particular character, the they've been really rude to Sandra. Yes, it's a shame. I feel like that could have become like another far show type thing, of just a a, a constant recurring of uh, you popping up as this like really sour faced friend of of Kerry Howard's, uh, quite obnoxious. <laughs> obnoxious character. Yeah, it had a bit of a cult following that sketch, and we found that people had made t-shirts really rude to Sandra in the queer scene (laughs) bag of chips from 
Drag Race UK was really keen on that sketch and bumped into Kerry and they did the sketch together and she sent me the video. No way. Um, I loved doing that show and that was great to be part of an ensemble and working with Kerry, who's just a legend. And yeah, really rude to Sandra. But yeah, she still lives on. Um, was that something that, again, when you were at Breton Hall, you'd like always done? Like, what kind of, um, what kind of got you interested in that style of performing and and that style of comedy and like weaving that into your into your work? I think I'd always played um, quite comedic characters, even when I was in news theatre or you know at school in school performances and stuff like that. Um, and then, like I said, one of our tutors sort of introduced us to sort of Lecoq, physical training and leisure, she was calling it, but just sort of being um, playful and looking at like sort of status and clown and sort of failure and trying to sort of discover what's funny about you. Yes. And sort of stripping things back and, um, yeah, just what it's like to be in the shit, they call it. So to sort of be in a situation <laughs> where you're trying to you know get out of it um yeah and yeah a lot of like kind of status work and so we started doing that and that's something I sort of naturally I sort of think I've always kind of been drawn to that stuff I love silent films I love physical comedy and mm. and and um I like silly faces and I like sort of the vulnerability and awkwardness of humor um yes. So I was sort of drawn to that um, and that definitely fed into my, the stuff that I do. Um, Lorna and I went away and trained with a guy in Spain um, and he'd been taught by Gollier and Uh that was, and then I actually went and did some shorter courses, Clown and um, Buffon when Gollier was in the UK and I've done some sort of longer form courses and stuff as well. With him, so I kind of um, was always drawn to that, and that's always something I've kind of been interested in. And yeah, it just—I think it just naturally informs stuff because you're soaking it in. I don't think—I think it's really difficult to be like, "This is exactly where this comes in," because I think you just sort of yeah. are fed by a series of um, experiences, and then they sort of come out, don't they? When you're when you're being an idiot, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how did you sort of find? Because I've never, I haven't done a clowning workshop myself, but the stories I hear of how brutal it can be, um, especially uh, Gollier, um, was it terrifying, or were you already kind of like, actually, this feels quite natural to me, and I'm quite happy to be um, hum- like humiliated <laughs> in front of a class for the purpose of. Um, of this sort of yeah how did you sort of take to to that um or is it not like that i mean i really enjoyed the challenges of getting up but Mm. it's really hard when you're pushing it and trying to be funny um that feels like the least likely funny thing but Mm. i'm sort of super sensitive so i definitely and sort of have that good girl thing where you sort of want to get it right and weirdly that's sometimes the opposite of what you need for (laughs) to be funny and you need to give less of a shit so i sort of and I've actually properly only discovered that 
<laughs> recently. But I found it interesting <laughs> and fascinating and you learnt a lot from watching other people and I didn't mind being called roast beef, <laughs> shouted at. But that's also because by the time I'd gone and had that experience, I'd also worked with people who he'd worked with, as in worked with other teachers who were absolutely brilliant but potentially not exactly the same style but um yeah some fun exercises and the challenge of working with other people and making decisions and the push and pull of that is challenging and yeah it's hugely exposing and you can really feel when you're not getting it um or connecting with it and sometimes it feels baffling but I just used to sort of watch other people and sort of be, you know, learn a lot from that. Yeah. I think the longer form courses, you know, you're going to, that's going to take its toll, especially if you're incrementally tired and whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's like with, um, well, with uh, improv classes, uh, it's that sort of once you've uh, died on your ass. Uh, in front of your classmates once, which you all inevitably will do. Um, then there's kind of nothing to be afraid of after that <laughs> within the realms of that um, of that course, I suppose. Exactly. And you, yeah, and that's a really good thing in terms of improv. Like I had one of my first improv gigs back this week and um, like some of those people there like, have formed just really brilliant bonds with. And I think because we've just seen each other crash, you know, even if we were... We've we've also done other comedy together, you know, stand up gigs or character gigs or cabaret, yes. or whatever. You're still, you know, because you've sort of intensely failed together, and I think that's what you really connect with. And I suppose it's the same <laughs> as within friendship when you show a vulnerability or you reach out and you need help and support. Yes, then you sort of form closer bonds with someone because you've opened up. And I think the whole process is sort of. Yeah, opening up. Did you, again, sort of find it was quite easy to slot back into improv mode or was it, uh, did you feel rusty? Was it a bit more nerve wracking than it than it would be? Like, was this your first improv gig since, you know, before we went into lockdown for the first time? No, I did a gig with Committee, which is a group that I've been part oh, of yes. for a really long time, um, who I love and they're sort of very close friends. So I would see them a lot. Um, and we've been sort of socialising together online quite a lot. Um, and that was really fun. It's just really freeing and um, I just love what comes out. And I think it it's, yeah, I feel I would just really enjoy it and don't have the same level of intense nerves I have for stand-up gigs. Um, but yeah, I definitely think you feel rusty, but also I think you feel quite invigorated because I think it can get to the stage where you're a bit improv out. It's just nice to connect with people on on stage and to look them in the eye and to see what they're playing out and try and read them in person. I think it's far harder to do online. But yeah, we've been doing a few podcasts and bits and bobs that have kind of kept us kept us going. You trained with the uh, the Free Association and you were on one of their house teams, the Harold the Harold teams. Yeah. How was that from like going to doing classes and you know maybe doing it. Um, maybe like once a week or every so often to then it becoming quite a sort of routine thing. I really enjoyed having those regular that regular team. It is difficult when you're trying to do lots of different things and balance your life and I sort of have always struggled with that and if I went I went off and did the it's true it's true it's true play like mid Harold experience. So it's tricky and it's just trying to balance and work out, you know, 
like with all these things sort of balance sort of having your life and doing things you enjoy and then also working for money and hopefully that you'll be able to earn from you know creative things or from acting or from writing so it's a bit of a balance but yeah it is like a, a, a commitment but I really enjoyed the regularity of it and I think you do get better I think you sort of get better get worse then get better that's that was my experience <laughs> but no it's great it's great to be part of a team and I think it's just like gym it's a brilliant experience but then also it's just like gym for actors and gym for the brain and for writers as well and I love sort of improvising around the scripts I'm writing as well and I think yeah it helps the flow oh definitely improv definitely helps helps the writing yeah especially sketch writing as well I suppose it is as you say it's like going to the gym it's like you're you're fle- if you're flexing that muscle yeah exactly. regularly yeah oh that's great that you've been continuing it through through lockdown how has it been doing it um online or on podcast when you're not in the room with the person because improv always feels very kind of it is a very collaborative thing and you know you're thrown in the moment on stage uh how is it when you sort of take the stage away and it's um more remote I think it just required like even more listening, you know, even more active listening. Like Zoom isn't entirely conducive to doing that because there's delays and there's it doesn't really work if you talk over each other. Um, sure. We were sort of rehearsing a comedy horror podcast called 666 Hell Lane, which is on the Free Association. We were rehearsing it and then we were lucky enough to, when things relaxed a little bit, we were able to sort of take COVID tests and a few of us go and sit in a room. But it just meant that we weren't as rusty as potentially we would have been. Yes. And Helen Duff did a night called Makers of Meaning, which was improvised where there were sections of film um, being shown and you sort of chose a character or an inanimate object to play. Um, but that was sort of individual she would ask you questions and you would reply. Yes. So it wasn't the sense of you didn't have to worry about talking over each other. But yeah, just listening, which I think all of it is with the clowning, like listening to the Mm. room, listening to your rhythms, listening to the audience, um, Mm. which is what it's about really, isn't it? And the same as with improv, just listening for shiny things and listening for things that Mm. you think are the root of the scene and not them not always needing to be led in a really yes. humorous way, just trying to play like the truth of that situation, which is, I suppose it's the same as what you were saying about doing drama. Like it's like listening to the person you're doing the scene with and trying to t- tell that story and be in, be there. It's a lovely community and I love a lot of the people I've met there. And I think that in order to be able to sustain being an actor and comic and writer, you need a, like a really nice community and you need that support and also to feel part of something so that when you are doing stuff on your own or you're sort of having rejections or, you know, trying to build yes. your confidence to do stuff, you feel like you're not alone in that. Absolutely. I mean, it must, it's, you are getting such a rich variety of experiences um, from doing <clears throat> sketch, uh, solo work, character, improv, clowning, um, stand up you're kind of you know you're treading all these different boards and that can only be just make your your work um 
much richer. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. I feel like it, it, there is time to focus, you know, there's time to focus in at the moment trying to work up these scripts. Yes. And then I know I've got six weeks away filming and then going to do some more theatre stuff as well. But it's just trying to balance and sort of plot your week and what you want from it and try not yes. to dilute everything you do, like try and bring everything to it. Um, rather than sort of being distracted and lots of things are unpredictable particularly the acting stuff um so you might be called in quite quickly to do something but I love it really mm. and I, I run on adrenaline so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> are you and uh, Lorna still working together on on things so Lorna and I collaborate in the sense that we're both writing separate scripts and we are the first port of call for each other's notes. Nice. We just know each other so well. It's sort of shorthand. Mm. Both got kind of quite different, not perspectives, but different sort of think skills. And so hopefully we complement each other well, but we're sort of best mates yeah. and we see each other a lot. I think actually that, that that pair ran its course and we sort of knew that there were other things we wanted to go and do. But equally, it would be great. I mean, there's sort of we made some sketches, but I don't think we made enough you know in terms of so much stuff we look back on and we go oh like that was fun um not in an arrogant way but just in a like we couldn't think about that for seven years because it all <laughs> felt a bit too raw but actually ah oh, that was quite funny the film sketches you did were like the the one in the gym uh is fantastic yeah the um, shake it off the, one yeah, yeah. And, and, and even when you did the music video because yeah. you did that and raised money for uh, charity, didn't you? Yeah, that was for breast cancer charity. Yeah, yeah, and that was a song that you'd you'd been doing in the show anyway. Yeah, that was slightly more complicated, I think, to do a music video. We were slightly over ambitious, but yeah, I was still really happy with it. It was really fun. Mm. It was just a bit of a beast, <laughs> and that's why we were like, let's just get the songs down, and why don't we just get some songs down of us just sitting around a fire and singing them, you know, or doing something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a great uh, idea about doing a sort of album of the recorded tracks. That would be really nice. I mean, did you kind of when you finished letting it go? um, Did you kind of feel like did you sort of both mutually sort of feel, as you say, that pair's kind of run its course? That's kind of the, the the sort of the the last the last one. Or did you have like other concepts lined up for shows that you might have liked to have done or that we're always kind of on the back burner. Um, I think we've had ideas together, but I think in terms of live shows, we were like trying to develop stuff for Mm. TV and radio. And we were really up for sort of doing that. Also as well, it just gets to a stage where you kind of want to spread your wings and do other stuff. I had ideas for wanting to do solo stuff, as did Lorna, Mm. and she went on to make solo shows. Also, I don't think Lorna was massively into doing Edinburgh again, and I was sort of still up (laughs) for for doing it. But it is so exhausting, both financially, emotionally, and just, yeah. yeah, I think she just wanted a little break, and then it sort of came about quite naturally. And it is full on just working with someone else and sort of being in each other you know every decision you make is sort of intrinsically tied to them and I think that can be quite intense so we chose friendship you know (laughs) I think I mean yeah and it's it's yeah I always find it astonishing how people um can do Edinburgh like year after year how you I mean not just the money side but just having an idea the material um 
it's uh it is it is such a beast i mean this is the funny thing that like, i've never done edinburgh but i feel like i've sort of got the secondhand experience from of course, from everyone yeah. i know doing it because i've kind of witnessed the the highs and the lows and the fatigue and the and the nervous breakdowns oh you've witnessed <laughs> it all i think i've cried several times in front of you which is not unusual <laughs> um but i think the sort of you saw the stress of it and you were also able to sort of experience the process of working you know with someone with with us you know closely yes. and it's not always easy and I think at the at the time like I cared way too much um and so I remember someone saying to me like I just think give less of a shit and I was like yeah but I couldn't sort <laughs> of um I was sort of really wrapped up in it um mm. so yeah it just felt really natural and I think it's kind of worked out for the best but I also think at the time like we didn't realize you know how fun it was yeah yeah weren't able to be in the moment but you know takes a while to learn that doesn't it well I suppose you get so bogged down yeah in it that it is quite difficult to kind of suddenly be like oh hang on we're supposed to be having fun yeah because you're spending so much money and time and you know you want to make it good like you're not um you're not taking yourselves ultra seriously but you do want to put on a good show and make people come to it yeah exactly and get people to come and see it but I mean ultimately we did have such a laugh and we sort of did festivals and we've had so many like mad experiences and great experiences but um yeah I think we've got like a good perspective on it now and then you just try and take that forward in your your new experiences and you just grow in confidence I suppose as well and you're like okay these are the things I can bring to the table these are the things I need to work on and Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do look on it fondly now. <laughs> You'll see us on the streets in clothes from head to toe. You'll see us drinking chinos from Cafe Nero. You'll see us eating food to keep ourselves alive. Adhering to road safety so that we survive. Girls, girls, girls. That's right, anatomically we are girls, yeah. We are on to the final section of the podcast, change of character. Right. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm detecting judgment on the pun. So I was just like listening to you coming up with the thing. Yep, chain of character. Great. Change. Change of character. I see. I understand. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm not getting paid to do this. <laughs> you have to pay me if you want the real, the real goods. Uh, anyway. Um, this so uh, this has been given to you by my previous guest, who was Joel Morris. Joel Morris uh, has come up with the character Tony Edgelord. Right. So, who is Tony Edgelord? Tony Edgelord is a a seemingly friendly landlord who never comes round and does any of the stuff that you need him to. And he's quite happy for you to live in a state of absolute repair. But every time you speak to him on the phone, he's hugely charming. And he's like, I'll come round and do that for you. No worries, I'll be round, I'll be round. Yeah, darling, yeah, darling. And then he just (laughs) never comes round. And you never see him. And you have to go on, like, a mission to try and discover who... (laughs) Tony Edgelord really is and then you start to think is he an automated voice that's Tony Edgelord he's got um, a shaved head and he's always got a tan 
Um, so he's always been away because he's been spending all the money you've been paying on rent. Yeah. And hence why you can't get hold of him. Hence why you can't get hold of him, yeah. How many tenants has he has he had in his uh, time of being a landlord? Are they quite a regular turnover? Oh, yeah, it's people very... Just, yeah, yeah. People can never get hold of him, so he's constantly um, <laughs> so he's just getting rid of people, yeah. So there's loads of tenants, and actually all the tenants have come together um, to try and work out who Tony is. Um, and there's keeps on being spottings of Tony. Um, and you only ever see Tony sort of running away from mm. places when he's being papped by the find Tony fan club. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, is, it, is he based... Is, are, are we talking a London landlord? Yeah, I think he's from this... Essex from where I'm from, yeah. yeah. Okay. Just to sort of reinforce some stereotypes there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're here for. Uh, has he always done this? Or did he have, like... Uh, did he come to this later? Did he get on the property ladder very early when... Uh, uh, like, how, how did he kind of... Oh, uh, he's always had his fingers in loads of p- p- pies. He's mm. got a few sort of timeshares in yeah. um, Spain and he does bits and bobs. He does sort of construction stuff. He owned a calf for a while. But he's sort mm-hmm. of... He's always got a new idea, you know, and he's always just sort of going for that idea and then he sort of runs out of energy for it and then everyone's sort of left in the lurch with it. Oh, God. So he's one of those people that starts a project and then just goes off the boil. Yeah. Oh, God. So he never gets anything... Well, like, like as you say, he never gets anything done. No. Nope. That explains why everything's in disrepair in the, in the, uh, in the flats. Yeah. <laughs> Does he own... Uh, a bunch of different flats where he's doing this. Is he like a a bit of a property tycoon, <laughs> or is yeah. he? Is it just the one flat and he just can't be asked? I think he's just lost his energy for it. He's onto something else, you know. He's buying a garden centre, so yeah, he just hasn't got he just hasn't got a lot of time for it. I don't think. I think he's just. I don't think he has ambitions to be a property tycoon. I think he just no. wants to make enough money so he can keep on going to his timeshare. Yeah. Do you think he'll ever find something he actually properly invests in and sees through to the end? He's hoping so, but no, I think he'll have a new idea on his deathbed, you know. (laughs) That he still won't see through. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, do I... Is this... uh, Is some of this coming out of um, (laughs) real, real life experiences with landlords? We had a strange landlord when Lorna and I and my friend Rosie lived we, we never her name was Maureen and we never really knew mm. what she was about we had very strange phone calls from her and Lorna and I actually made a song wrote a song about her in the early days <laughs> yeah so yeah landlady nice. calls but she never comes round was one of the lyrics um but yeah so yeah, it's a little bit not not current experience thank goodness but yeah in the past it's it's definitely relatable um, for sure, I really, I actually really love that concept of a bunch of tenants getting together to try and find the landlord. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great uh, story. Definitely amazing. So uh, that was Tony Edgelord. Um, can you please tell me the name you are going to pass on to my next guest? Um, Irene Giblet. Irene Giblet. Oh, I like that. Uh, so. Who is Irene Giblet? We shall find out on the next episode of Out of Character. Um, 
in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me, Kat. It's been so lovely to speak to you and catch up after after so many years. No, it's been brilliant. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you again, Kat Bond. Oh, that's my doorbell. <laughs> that's my doorbell. I'll be back. I'll be that back. was a proper sitcom doorbell. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.